All right, if you'd like to turn to the book of Hosea. Um, Hosea has been rough and hard and prophetic, but today it's going to get to some of the good stuff. <laughs> it's going to be about the grace of the Lord in the book of Hosea. So if you'll bear with the preacher this morning, he'll try to walk us through chapter 11. And I, I hope that you can see today that God's love is different. It is different than our love, and in such an incredibly good way. Hosea in chapter 11, we're going to actually start verses 9 through 11, then we'll come back up and start at the beginning of the chapter. So look with me together, Hosea chapter 11, beginning in verse 9. The Lord says, I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee. And I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. When he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt, as a dove out of the land of Assyria, and I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. Start off with a simple quote this morning from Christopher Wright. So think about this for just a second. He says, the worst thing about idols, as the Hebrew scriptures so tirelessly point out, is that they are utterly useless when you need them the most. Right? Now again, we think of idols always being something physical. And those of us who've been able to travel to India Paul and I, this last spring, we saw so many idols. It's so foreign to us to think that people still literally go and offer um, fruit, offer flowers, offer prayers to wood and to stone and to hay and stubble, if you will, but they do. And we know that if you're expecting this beautiful figurine to do something for you, it can't do anything. But what I want to challenge you a little bit from this quote this morning is when we put idols in our own life, that those idols are just as useless. Are you tracking with me? If your idol is money, if your idol is power or prestige in your job, if your idol is in possessing some relationship, when you need it most, that idol is not going to provide. But the Lord will. Again, that's our encouragement this morning. Well, again, just a super quick review this morning. You know the refrain by now. Hosea tells the people that they have not acknowledged God and they must acknowledge God if they are going to find their way back to him. We know the story and it's such a, um, in our, especially in our context, such a grotesque story that God has called Hosea out to marry Gomer and Gomer is unfaithful. She, has, uh, she is a prostitute. She has sold herself to other uh, men and yet the Lord gives us a picture of his love as Hosea chases after Gomer, God chases after his people. And we know we saw just a few weeks ago, we saw that if you sow the wind, you're going to reap the, the whirlwind, right? We have seen the lion, the moth, we've seen the judgment of God very clearly in the book. And we know that in historically, we know it comes to pass. And so all of those things are really hard sometimes as we think about the prophecy of Hosea. But today we get a different picture of God who chose his people. And I hope today, especially it goes so good with our Sunday school lesson this morning, I hope you'll remember this picture of God when you face difficult times in your life. Let's go back to verse 1. 
Hosea says, when Israel was a child, or the Lord speaking through Hosea said, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. Now, God called Israel out of Egypt, right? Some of the most significant things in their history were the plagues. And if you guys know your story about the plagues, many of the plagues were in response to an Egyptian god, to an Egyptian idol. God was showing that he was stronger than any of the Egyptian gods. He says, out of Egypt I call my child. Out of Egypt I call my son. Now what's really interesting about this is this is a very similar refrain in the book of Matthew. What happened at the time of Jesus' birth? Do you remember? What was the rumors about this Christ child that was going to be born? The king. The king is going to come. And the king of the day, King Herod, what did he think about that? Ain't nobody taking my place. (laughs) And we know the very difficult, sad story. There was a decree put out by Herod to do what? To kill all of the boys under two years and below. And so what did Jesus do? What did Mary and Joseph do with Jesus? They took him to, took him to Egypt, right? Matthew chapter 2, verse 14. The Bible says, So he got up, and he took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt, verse 15, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. <laughs> it's amazing how the Lord puts all these things together, isn't it, right? And Hosea, even speaking here about this to the people, about reminder of how God had raised up Israel, this same truth would apply to God's only son, Jesus, and how he would be pulled out. In the same verses here, we see that Hosea says, the more that the people were pursued, the more, instead of seeking the one who was pursuing them, they sought out the Baals. They chased after the idols. We've seen the sowing and the reaping. We've seen God as the lion and the judgment that's coming through Assyria. We know that it's still going to come, but in this time and in this tone, God speaks differently about his people. And so here's one thing I want you to hang with me this morning. Hold on to me. Hold on with me this morning. This is a reminder that while the God we serve is completely holy and completely just, And when he renders his wrath, he does so in a perfect way, yet he is loving and compassionate, and he cares for his people. This is from Hosea today. Hang with me, and it'll make sense in just a moment. Look at verse 3. We're going to see a picture of a tender and a compassionate God. Verse 3, the Lord speaking through Hosea, he says, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God Most High. I will by no means exalt them. Look back in verse 3 and notice the description of God. Have any of you have the privilege of having little kids around you? Have you ever seen some pictures of like a big old football player? Great big muscles, great big legs. 
and some little two-year-old, three toddler comes by and they grab him by the hand. I mean, there's all this power, there's all this authority, and yet there's a tenderness and a compassion there, isn't there, right? That's the picture of God in Hosea here. I was a father to them. I was the one who took them by the hand. I was the one teaching them how to walk. If you hear what he says, he says, and I was the one who was even healing them, and they didn't know it. Have you ever parents, have your parents ever done things for you that you didn't find out later that they took care of it? Right? Isn't that one of the most wonderful things? Like you had a bill or you had a problem, and then, and then some reason it goes away, and you know, oh, well, that was great. And then maybe a month or a year or sometime later, you find out that was actually your, your parents taking care of you. That is God in this passage. They don't realize that I'm the one who healed them. And then we get one of my favorite pictures of all. What does God do? He gets down. And he picks them up like a, someone who lifts a child to the cheek. That's a picture of the Lord this morning in the book of Hosea. Does God love? Does he love you? Does he love with tenderness and compassion? The world sometimes would tell you of a God who is uh, angry and who was like to hurt people and like to destroy them. And that is not the picture we see here from Hosea. He was the one who healed. He was the one who taught them to walk. He was the one who led them. Again, my favorite picture, he was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and then he bent down to feed them. God bent down for you. Do you know how much God loves his children? So yesterday, Wendy and I did our first journey to Effingham over to St. Louis. She's going to do another one today. And we went to my Aunt Jeannie and my Uncle David. We went to my Aunt Jeannie's funeral. And so when I was a young man, just in, I think my junior year of college, they invited me to come up and I lived with them for three weeks. And you just have to know them. They're both just crazy characters. My uncle David was always on the edge of diabetes and he would sneak around at one or two in the morning. He'd come downstairs where I was sleeping. He would, the pantry was down there and he'd be digging in the Oreos <laughs> to try to get his, his morning snack. And Jeannie was probably one of the most hospitable people that I have ever met. She's just incredible, welcoming, warming person. And so it was very interesting yesterday. Um, my Aunt Jeannie, she had a tumor. And a few months ago, she went to her daughter and she had two folders. You'd have to know her, but she liked to take care of things. She liked to be in charge. And she said to her daughter, this is how my funeral's gonna be and this is how your father's gonna be. <laughs> And I think they were like, oh, we don't want to talk about this right now. But she had the whole thing laid out. So everything that we witnessed yesterday was at her hand. And everything yesterday was pointing people to Christ. Every person that spoke, every testimony, every song, every closing song, it was all about Jesus. It was amazing. Well, again, I think some of you may have known my other uncle, uh, Uncle Tom Malone. He lives down in Tennessee and he just lost his wife in January. And uh, it's been, he is broken. And you can imagine, some of you understand, you've lived with someone for so long and for them not to be there beside you anymore. We have a couple people in our church this morning who really know that feeling, don't they, right? And you could tell he's been changed by that. Well, you have to know my Uncle Tom, he's an incredible gifted preacher. And so we sat down and he was like, well, what's going on? I was asking him, what are you preaching on? What are you doing? You know, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing Hosea. And I mean, his eyes just started to well up and to tear up. 
oh, the picture of God and Hosea. And he was referring to the very chapter that we're in. And he said, Travis, tell people that God loves them and that he wants to put their arms, his arms around them and that he wants to hold them tenderly. And when they're hurting, when they're hungry, when they're desperate, he cares about them. I'm just like, you know, weeping as he shares those things. And I thought, definitely, I want to make sure that you hear that today, not just from me, but some, someone who's experienced great grief, that the Lord loves you and he'll walk with you through this grief. And so again today, I want you to see that there's no better picture of the tenderness and compassion of the Lord than what we have right here in Hosea. Again, the God who bends down and lifts to the cheek, the God who bends down to feed. And what I would remind you is that there's no better picture of this than Jesus coming to the earth, the incarnation itself, right? God comes to us even in our adulterous and idolatrous position. He bows down to feed and to rescue people. He is a good, good father. And my challenge to you today is that we help other people see those same things. Let's look and see how the Holy One is different. Look down at verse 8. How is God different? The Holy One is different. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is around, is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. And I hope you will hear this today. This is so important. God will not give up on his people. You ever want to give up on somebody? Yeah. I have given up on some people before. People that I've tried to help, they've come and they said, hey, can you give me some wisdom or some ideas about this situation I'm dealing with? And so Wendy and I might share with them some things that we thought would really help them and they wouldn't try any of the things that we talked about. And then they would be back in another month or two asking, hey, can you give us some wisdom or some ideas about the situation? We're like, didn't we talk about this last time? Yeah, but let's talk about it again. And then they, again, they would be like, well, we're going to do what we want to do, but we want to get some attention from you, so we'll keep coming. And in my heart would get callous to those people and be like, I, I'm done with you. But I want to tell you today that God is not done with his people. And that's one of the ways in that he is different than us. Here, if you'll look and see, he talks about two cities. And they're very, it's a very obscure reference, Adma and Zeboim. And they're actually in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29. So let's pull that up quickly, and you guys can see this same truth about these two cities. Deuteronomy 29, 23, the scripture says, The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur, nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. Huh. Now you're putting the tie together, right? We all heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, but nobody really says anything about Adma and Zeboim, but they were also destroyed because of their wickedness. And yet what God is saying in this passage is that he is not going to destroy his people like those cities of Adma and Zeboim were destroyed. He will not carry out his fierce anger, though he would be justified in doing so. And then this phrase comes and it just hits me so clearly. I am God and not man. I love differently. How does mankind love? We respond in kind, right? Don't we? If somebody gives you kindness, what do you usually do back? 
No, they were nice to me. I'll be nice to them. And if someone is mean to you or critical of you or tearing you down, how do you respond to them? Right? We respond in kind. Mankind is not usually patient. They are very quick to judge. Again, this morning just stood out to me so obvious. Our current culture, I just think, is, is so hard. Somebody does something good, and then everybody has to say something about it that maybe analyzes everything behind it, right? You know what I'm talking about? Somebody tries to help someone, and then all of a sudden there's 18 people on a thread that tries to judge what happened. Well, what we saw this morning that was really encouragement to me, Jesus goes, and he is going to go, and he's going to heal. He's going to raise up Lazarus from the dead, and he cries when he sees Mary cry. Mary says, Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And she weeps and she cries, and the Bible says Jesus wept. And you know what some people said about that? Oh, look how he loves. You know what some other people said about that? Well, if he's so powerful, why didn't he? He could have done something if he'd been here a few days ago. <laughs> that critical spirit in humankind has always been around, isn't it, right? God is different, and the way that he loves is different. Mankind usually waits for the offender to make the first move before there is reconciliation. Who in your household says sorry first? I'm sure Todd always says sorry first, right, Brother Tom? Sentinel, he says sorry first. Brother Ray, Ray, either one of the Rays? Yeah, right? Because that's how it has to be, right? Isn't it interesting that in our relationships a lot of times, um, if you've offended me and we're going to make this right, the only way we're going to take care of it is if you come to me first. Think about the situation that they're in. These people are worshiping Baals. They're idolatrous. They're adulterous. They're going to go and face Assyrian judgment. But in the middle of all that, God is not waiting for them to repent. He is already working towards their return towards their reconciliation. God is different. He's not like man. He is the Holy One of Israel. How is God different? Well, he doesn't like love like we love. Very simply, one of the best passages in the Bible, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. What does the scripture tell us? That God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were what? We were sinners. We were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God loves different. He's not waiting on you to express his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only did God bend down to us by coming to earth, but he gave his only son to die for us. Before we repented, before we surrendered, while we were still sinners, God loved us and his love is different. He will judge sin. But I also want you to catch this. Sin was paid for on the cross. Again, think with me this morning about these truths. Let's look at the roaring line. Look at verse 10 here. Verse 10, the scripture says, They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. Here's what I want to remind you of this morning so you don't forget. This tender father, the father that bends down to feed and lifts up to the cheek, this father is also the lion. Don't forget the lion. That's what Hosea shares. In the same passage, you have this incredibly compassionate, tender father 
and you also have the lion, and the lion will roar. When the lion roars, what's going to happen? God's people are going to come back, but they're going to come back trembling. They're going to come back in humility. They're going to come back with a penitent heart. They will come. They will be settled in their homes. The overwhelming message of the Old Testament is a remnant will return by the prophets. God will not completely forget his people. He will renew. He will redeem. He will restore. That is who he is. He is God and not man. (laughs) Praise the Lord, right? That's who he is. And in case you forget, I always like to share this whenever we talk about God as a lion. One of my all-time favorite quotes from the Chronicles of Narnia, where God is also depicted as a lion, is this. It's from C.S. Lewis. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. (laughs) The lion is not safe. Sometimes we treat God like a buddy. We lower him to our level, but he is not safe, but he is good and he is the king. You have heard, as we think about in concluding this morning, you've heard over and over this, this book, this refrain that we must acknowledge God. His desire is for us to show mercy, not to offer sacrifices, not to give all of our lists of all of our checkoffs of things that we've done, but to truly show mercy to those in our life. And today, I hope you're reminded of a tender and compassionate father as you see the beautiful grace of our Lord. He is the lion, but he loves you, and his desire is for you, not against you. I'm close with one illustration this morning from Marion Lalaub. Marion says this, my dad kept a coin jar on his dresser. Any of your fathers had that? My grandpa, he had always had this pouch. And in that little pouch, it would open up and he'd have all his monies in there. He's even like a coin collector. So we'd go sneaking on grandpa's dresser to open it up and see if he had anything special. My dad was a, he had a, kept a coin jar on his dresser. And every night when he got home from work, the first thing he did was he headed upstairs to change his clothes. You could hear the familiar jangling of coins as they spilled from his pocket and he set them in the jar. When I was about nine years old, I decided his coins should be mine. Over time, I pilfered a few nickels here, a handful of pennies there. Before I knew it, I had successfully swindled my dad out of his loose change, and he never even noticed. Sometime later, guilt gripped me. I knew that what I had been doing could only be considered stealing. I had no way to explain away my behavior. With a pounding heart, I penned an apology to him, confessing my sin and asking him to forgive me. I tucked it under his coin jar along with a pile of pennies as restitution. I waited anxiously for my dad to confront me. Day one went by, and he didn't say anything. Another day passed, still nothing. And then another and another, and eventually I forgot about the note. And then one day, out of the blue, my dad stepped into my bedroom, and he said, Marion, I got your note about the pennies. My heart raced. My throat felt like a marble was lodged in it. I was expecting punishment, but he seemed on the verge of tears. That didn't make any sense. I had wronged him. He had every right to be mad and to punish me. And instead, he said, thank you. 
and he gave me a hug, and then he left, and we never spoke of it again. I stood there dumbfounded. Why, when I fully deserved my father's wrath, did he instead show me mercy? I didn't deserve it. I hadn't earned it. I felt like a criminal that got off scot-free. This was my first powerful lesson on judgment and grace. And since then, I've never gotten over the way grace feels. It's like waiting for the other shoe to drop, but it never does. It's experiencing utter relief and humility in the face of guilt because you know how bad you can be, but God or your daddy chooses to love and forgive you anyway. It is truly God's riches at Christ's expense. My message today is very simple. Have you experienced the grace of God? If you know, you know. Amen. Let's stand this morning. What we see in Jesus is God is both just and justifier. That's what Paul says in Romans. Just and justifier. God hates sin. We see it in the book of Hosea over and over. And God will punish sin, and he does it on the cross of his only begotten son. But then God makes this offer. Our tender, compassionate father who loves us makes us this offer. If we would repent of our sins and accept the gift of what Jesus has done for us, we can be reconciled, redeemed, and restored. This morning, I want to ask you those very simple things. Have you experienced the grace of God? Let's go to the Lord in prayer for just a moment, and Miss Ida will play for us softly, and then we'll give you a chance to respond if you'd like to do that today. Let's pray.